Keep your ghiblies and your screams contained. Put them in a bucket. Butterscotch shenanigans. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 46 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm the web, uh, web guy. I'm Sam and I'm the, uh, uh, art guy. <laughs> and today is April 10,294th, 2016. Mm-hmm. And before we get started, we have a warning. Anything can happen on this show. There's going to be words, some of which are bad. So if you're a child, get away. Just go away. Okay, let's get to some news. Okay. Uh, all right, what happened this week? We we got some new artwork Yeah. Done, uh, which if you're... If you're looking at the podcast page or the SoundCloud page or anything, you're probably looking at it already. So I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> we blasted it all over the place. Uh, uh, we're trying to find other cool spots to use it. But basically, the idea was we wanted an actual banner for our podcast. And so we had Hibbler, who is our lovely painter, um, paint us up a scene of all of us hanging out around a campfire, sharing some coffee with uh, with some of our characters. I think it turned out, yeah. turned out quite nice. So if you haven't seen it, just go to the SoundCloud page. You can see the big banner there. We'll probably post something about it next week also. Yeah, it turned out super good. Um, right, so and the, then otherwise... <laughs> you need to actually like what? pronounce every single letter that's in this next bullet point. Okay, I'm being har- I'm being harassed by my dog right now, so it's just gonna be a sec. Uh, yeah. So the next <laughs> news item here is, according to our bullets, jobs, 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 jobs in the city. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so I don't really know what I don't know what's happening. Well, with we this. got what's jobs. Well, yeah, we have a job, I guess. And uh, we did talk about this in the previous episodes. It's the game mechanic position. You can check it out via just going to butterscotchshenanigans.com. It's in the sidebar. Uh, as well as, what is it, careers or jobs, adam.bscotch.net? Jobs.bscotch.net. Ba-joom, ba-joom. And we're, we're going to be opening up the application process actually probably around this time that this podcast is alive. Uh, so we'll be doing it in rounds, and we'll just, it'll just be rolling until we find a good fit. So that's our plan. So there. It might be forever. We might find a good fit instantly. Who knows? Who knows? Um, and we also have, we also have some T-shirts. We have a run of t-shirts still going. We've got the classic uh, butterscotch t-shirts that just say butterscotch shenanigans on the front. And we also have some cool Crashlands t-shirts, which are currently selling quite a bit better than the regular butterscotch. Probably because they're not but to be just fair, it is a font, you know? It's not just <laughs> a couple of words. Uh, yeah, they're super badass looking. It's like flux and a bunch of the savannah creatures and juice box looking crazy uh, literally juice box looks insane yeah. on these shirts definitely recommend and next item is wait how could somebody find it's... those though oh sorry uh you could just go to bit.ly slash bscotch shirts <laughs> Seth, are you still B-scotch wrestling shirts. your dog yeah i'm sorry i'm what really happening I'm, over there i'm i'm having some <laughs> I'm having a dog rodeo. It's very distracting. I'll, uh, I'll take over the the bullet points so that Seth can dog okay. wrestle. Just go do- wrestle your dog. <laughs> so go to bit.ly uh, slash bscotch shirts so you can shirt your pants. Put your shirt mm-hmm. <laughs> in your pants at bit.ly slash bscotch shirts. That cover is kind of kind of that that rando, uh, you know, throw money at us stuff. Which the next good. thing we want to we want to mention is that last week we did a visibility round for Crashlands, which means a few things. It means we sent out a newsletter to all of our existing Crashlands players and said, "Hey, we got an update." And we talked about that update a bit last week, I think. Right? Didn't we? Maybe. I, yeah, yeah. It was the quality. Yeah, of the life quality patch. Of life patch. So the quality of life patch is live. It's got a pretty amusing trailer that Sam uh, and Seth assembled. Mostly Sam, I think, probably. Mm-hmm. We basically asked all the all of our the storefronts to say to advertise the fact that we put out that update. So what happened? We, yeah, we, we, wanted to, go? we wanted to talk about it a little bit because we, you know, we like to reveal the inner workings of how this stuff works. And, and we didn't know what to expect, really. Uh, we haven't had a game as successful as Crashlands. You're not even close to that. Because of that, we haven't had the opportunity to get further visibility after the initial launch. So we didn't know what to expect, but we got really good placement. So iTunes put us on the top of updated apps in the App Store. So that was cool. So if you looked in the updated section, we were the first thing that you would see uh, in the US, I think, anyway. Google Play refeatured us, and I think actually in a better position than our launch week even. And on Steam, we did a visibility round, which is an internal thing 
kind of that the developers actually have control over that basically lets people see us a little bit more. So we, we did all of the things that we could do and, and kind of got the best we could out of the situation, but yeah, we had well, no idea what to expect. And what I want to make note here before we even talk about the revenue increase that we saw from that, um, that we've come, we have this internal joke that we sometimes have to remind ourselves about, which is if you want, if you want some help with something or if you want someone to do something for you, or you just need some information about something, uh, you should really just email them. Um, we've, we've just sent them an, an email. That's the internal phrase that goes around a lot because in the case of this iTunes thing, uh, we didn't actually know since we've never had a game of the caliber of, of Crashlands as far as a general sale goes, we didn't know what to expect as far as what we could, what we could or should ask for, what was even possible. So, um, we basically just talked to them. We're like, Hey, we have this big update coming out that has all of this stuff in it. And we thought the quality of life patch was sort of like a smaller patch, you know, personally, cause it doesn't have a lot of extra content. It mainly fixes and addresses a lot of problems. And the biggest thing is just the map. It also creates some new ones. It does create <laughs> some new ones. But, but as soon as we said that we redid the map, they were like, Oh no, that's like a big enough update that we could, you know, actually give you guys some visibility for it. Cause it's like a big deal. And the colorblind modes. They were super pumped yeah. about that. Yeah. And so, uh, whereas we internally, cause they're, they're just kind of like another item to check off the checkbox. We weren't really thinking about them, uh, in terms of that. So definitely if you're, if you're an indie dev or really, I mean, this kind of applies just to every walk of life, frankly. Um, you'd be surprised at what you can get done if you just like send them an email with a question. Yeah. If you just it. ask, you just ask for it. So don't be too humble. Just be like, yo, yo, how about some of them fresh visibilities guys on the storefront? Yeah. Fresh and, and of course the, the worst case scenario is nothing happens, which is exactly what would happen if you didn't send an email anyways. Yep. So, uh, but so, going back yeah, to the just actual, do it. just do it. Yep. The actual effects of this. So we know from talking to some of our friends who do free to play games, that updates for them are actually a really big deal because usually updates come along with uh, new content that is actually purchasable by the player base, right? And your player base also gets gets more uh, revved up during an update time because they get they get the ping that the game updated. There's new content for them to explore, and so you get a huge spike in people who have the game who are then actively playing it again. And we definitely and saw that. And they may have push notifications too, right? So they can let people know. Right. Yeah. And so we did see uh, our usage just across the board increased a ton as far as, you know, our old players coming back to check out the new stuff. But then uh, in our case, it's it's interesting because we don't have, since we don't do any other payments aside from the one-time upfront one, there is no option for us to make any additional money off of an update aside from getting new players in from the featured visibility, Right. And this, uh, mm -hmm. what this means is this so from the, the free to play guys we've talked to, they said that their, their updates, uh, are actually on par with their original feature placement as far as the general power from a revenue standpoint that it generates or even higher or even higher because it's sort of like a rolling player base, right? So you're getting, every time you get a feature, you're getting more players. Uh, but you're also then if you're a free to play game or you add new things that are purchasable, able to, uh, sort of cash in on your existing player base in a cool way. So the difference, of course, with us, we don't have that. So we were, our question was, uh, is this going to do anything? So I think all of us had pretty pretty low expectations, but high hopes, as as is our you know sort of our model. Um, it's the safest position to take. <laughs> yeah, and so we had, uh, but we saw anywhere from like a two two to four x revenue increase. And like, keep in mind, we're we're very much in the tail for all the games now. Um, there's no, there's not exactly a huge volume of, of uh, units yeah, being so this, sold a this day. Two so. to four times, yeah, two to four times means two to four times per day what we would normally get per day, not like two to four times what we had already made prior. Yeah, yeah, right. That That's would correct. be insane. Right. Yeah. Just <laughs> so, so what that means though um, is that it's actually a pretty small bump relative to the amount of visibility we got because we we know I mean if we're on the front page of iTunes and on Google Play and you know popping up in people's feeds on Steam you know a lot of people starting last week who had never seen Crashlands before got to see it mm -hmm. and I mean yep. a huge number of people and the number of those that actually went on to to buy it relative to what happened when we launched the game originally is way 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 lower right well I I think it's it's Kind of tough to say, though, because of the fact that, you know, when we launched, we had, especially on uh, iPad, we had the editor's choice, yeah, which, which puts is a much the bigger game feature. front and center yeah, on a huge banner, even just like on the app store, not just the game section, but on the whole app store. Um, 
Yeah, and now we have a, I, I think it's referred to as a slug. You know, it's that kind of rectangular mm-hmm. uh, image, and it's further down the page, and it's much, much smaller, and it's only in the game section. It's not going to be on the main sto- store page and stuff. So um, there's definitely a, a very dramatic difference in the feature placement between now and, and launch week. Right. So the, it's hard the, to say. The interesting thing that this sort of suggests for us as a studio uh, is that spending spending a lot of additional time on things that are considered or classified just as updates uh, for a game that can only be bought once is probably actually a losing proposition, right? Um, unless unless the tail is so high that we can just do whatever we want. Exactly, unless we don't care, <laughs> like which in that case is like we don't care, right? Um, but as far as uh, or or the if if the fallout from the update is that you have increased tail usage because of something that you've put into the game. So what I mean by that is like something that you put into the game increased the sort of propensity for players to share and get their friends involved or something like that. And so yeah, that increases sort of the, the organic growth and so yeah. Way. So that's, that's sort of the category where we're hoping that the creator falls in as far as, you know, when players are able to create their own content and stuff like that with the game, that maybe it'll, it'll do something along those lines. Um, but otherwise, uh, otherwise like tail stuff is kind of where you end up living for most of the time that you, that you, uh, like develop games. It's sort of where most of the meat is. And I think there's, there's one interesting thing I read this week about Shovel Knight, which I wanted to bring up to you guys who haven't read it. Adam and Seth. Yeah. Um, that Shovel Knight has never... Well, why don't you tell us about Shovel Knight first? What is Shovel Knight? Shovel Knight, it's a it's an indie game made by a small studio called Yacht Club, and it's a sort of throwback to SNES platformers. It's done extremely well. It's got an amiibo now, and it's on pretty much every platform. And, and I think it a, came out probably five years ago. Nah, I think maybe? it was two and a half years ago, three years ago. Oh, is it, oh, is it more recent than that? Okay. Yeah, it's more recent. Um, and they, they recently announced... It was before the indie apocalypse. Yeah, they recently know. announced that they sold, I think, over a million copies sometime recently. Um, yeah, they've done really well. Yeah, and so they, they went through, like I said, every single platform. They actually have physical discs now. Like, they got that whole thing figured out. Um as well as being like on the Nintendo Wii Wii Shop eShop thing, and so they've done they've done very well. But they their uh, head one of their head guys was talking about one of their particular financial strategies, which I think is is important when we're talking about this tail stuff. And they actually never uh, they never priced the game on sale below uh, two thirds. Right? So it's never more than a third off. That was one of their rules because they wanted to have it be viewed as a high value thing. And they have a similar situation. I think they added a DLC. They might have added a DLC or it's a free content update. I can't remember um, with a new character and like some new areas to explore. But um, for the most part, it's in a similar situation, right? Where it's a pay once game, but it has been heavily updated and has continued to see some pretty good success with those regular sales that never dip below a third. So I wanted to ask you guys what you thought about that particular sales strategy, um, not necessarily just with regards to something like Crashlands, but also just with regards to paid games in general, as far as picking some threshold never to go down. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, to, to me, it comes right back to that thing we've talked about a bunch of times, which is the devaluation of your game by how you price it. And of course, a free-to-play game is the extreme version of that, right? Where you just say, this thing isn't worth anything at all. I'll come play it and then throw it away, right? <laughs> For pay up front games, I mean, I was really surprised when like, you know, Fallout 4, one of the biggest AAA games of last year, uh, I think three months after launch, maybe even two months, was already 20 bucks off on a sale. Yeah. Yep. I had decided to wait and buy it until Crashlands was out. So I just hap- happened to have not bought it yet so that I could go buy it for 20 bucks off. But I would have bought it at full price when I was actually ready to play the game. Instead, I got to get it for $20 off because they had a really early sale for some reason. I think that strategy, I mean, you see all AAA studios do this and, and we've kind of talked about it internally, but I think that's because the big AAA studios have to show income growth on a quarter by quarter basis. Yep. And so by doing a sale, they get these big influxes of cash every quarter. Then their investors are like, ooh. Their investors are happy and everybody's doing great. <laughs> but this may actually hurt them in the long term quite a bit. And you also see this for indie devs who are really struggling because the best way to get a little influx of cash is to just drop the price of your game a huge amount and sell as many copies as you can. But any of those people who would have bought it at a higher price now won't because they've gotten it for really cheap. Well, there, I think there's a there's a broader question though, which is if if people would have bought it at a higher price, why haven't they? You know, three four months after the game comes out. For me, like with with 
New Vegas, or not New Vegas, Fallout 4. That was a game I knew I was going to buy. I just wasn't going to wait and buy it when I had time to play it. Ah, I see. And I hadn't had time to play it yet, but when it was cheap enough, I'll go ahead and buy it anyway, knowing that I'm going to play it. And for me, most of the games that I buy on sale, I buy when they're just so cheap. I'm like, I may play this in the future, so I'll just go ahead and buy it while it's a dollar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, a large number of the games that I have are, are from that. But any other game that I want to buy, as soon as I'm ready to play it, I'll just go buy it. But your point, though, is that... I don't buy games the moment they come out. Yeah, your point, though, is that the effect of doing a, say, a a 20% off, or I guess in that case, a 30% off sale within two months uh, is is not actually good for the long-time health of a game? Is that your... Well, I think there's some level where where it's fine, right? But I think think if if you're really close to launch, then people haven't made up their mind about whether or not they want the game. If you put the game on sale that early, it implies the game isn't worth the price tag you put on it. And so Mm -hmm. I think there's... There's two parts. I think one is just how long you wait until you start putting stuff on sale. And the other part is how big that sale should be. I mean, to me, the longer you wait, the more you're saying, we truly believe the game has the value we've attached to it. And then further, the smaller the the discount you put on it implies the same thing. Right. If people are just always waiting to get your game at the lowest price and you always give them that opportunity. Then they'll just, then they won't buy it. Yeah, until, they won't buy until it until it's super cheap. And if you just whole, you know, if you stick to your guns and try to do it lower, it, in the end, you may actually make less money. It's really hard to, I mean, it's just impossible to guess because there's no experiment that could be done to test it. But on the other hand, as we talked about in the past as well, when you get players to buy into your game and they feel like that, because they feel like they've gotten a deal and have gotten it effectively for free by getting it 90% off or something, then they'll value the game just as little as you did when you knocked it down to that price. And so you're not bringing in players who are super pumped about you, your studio. And I would actually, I would actually argue that you're probably bringing in a lot of players who aren't actually going to play it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you most know, pe- of the games I see, bought that steep, I never, never played. Yeah, people see a game dropped hugely on Steam and they're like, "Oh yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna get that. I'll just grab it now while it's on sale, and then they'll buy it and drop it in their Steam library, and then the next day they've they've I forgotten think, that they bought it, and that's it." <laughs> I think that's the case, though, only if. It's only the case if you're talking about like a huge discount, right? I'm thinking, like for me, the way I think about a sale is that it's actually it's it's actually further opportunity. It lowers the risk for someone to actually like sort of get involved and essentially fall in love with either the game or your studio, right? I don't, I don't think it's the yeah, case yeah, that like, exactly yeah. that's you know exactly right. And I think uh, it pushes people over the fence, yeah, or rather it moves the fence, <laughs> right? Yeah. The threshold to me, like where that threshold is, is the difference between declaring that the game isn't very viable and saying, hey, I've reduced the risk for you. Mm-hmm. And so if there, if your limit on how much you're willing to go down is like below 50%, because there's something about making something less than half off. Yeah, right. Right. Well, it's like when you it see... It just feels uh, like it's too much. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, it's, it's like kind of like, when I, like when I go buy a pair of pants, yeah, or shirts, yeah. right? And it's like, it's like you can get this for, you know, for 60% off. I'm like, why the hell is it so expensive in the first place? That's a material good that has a cost to produce. Right. Right. <laughs> Because it's marked up like crazy. It's marked up like crazy. And for digital goods, it's even worse because effectively a digital good is free in terms of distribution costs. It's free to, to, to produce multiple copies, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the idea of knocking it down just kind of emphasizes that even more powerfully. Hmm. If the only metric is a financial one as to like, you know, how steep to, to discount your game, I'm not sure it's the right move, actually, because if your right. goal is to sell as many copies and make as much money as possible, then at some point when you're not really making any more money off of the tail. Yeah. If you just drop the price way down to sell just a huge number of copies and bring in a bolus of income, that may actually be the right financial strategy. But mm-hmm. I think without a doubt, it devalues the game in your studio. Well, it's kind of an interesting thing though, because so a lot of a lot of indies do play by the AAA playbook, right? And yeah, yeah, you look to um, them as a model of what you're supposed to do, right? And I think if you if you forget that, I mean, if you look at the ind- the completely independent ones, which is only a couple of like Gearbox, I think is completely independent still, um, and a few other ones. But if you look at any of the publicly traded ones, they're gonna they actually have a different set of incentives in mind than someone who's actually just a, like a business or a business owner would. And so it's a very important thing to keep in mind when you're thinking about like whether or not to follow in their footsteps with regards to, to a lot of things, I think personally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you don't have to answer to shareholders on a quarterly basis, then you don't have to make decisions in three month intervals. And, and, but further, and this is something we've also talked about in the studio. The first time we put our game on sale, we're going to get a bolus of, of income. But if we do that at the wrong time, then the tax year ends. And all of a sudden we have to like, just lose 30% of that to uncle Sam. Mm -hmm. If we have employees we need to pay, then actually the timing of that stuff can be really problematic because it's undoubtedly true that when you 
put your game on sale, a whole bunch of people will buy it and therefore they won't be around to buy it the next time you put it on sale. So you're sort of cannibalizing True. future sales by doing a sale now. Only a certain number of people can buy the game. Yeah, it'll saturate at some point. Exactly. So if you're, if your goal is to make as much money as fast as possible, then you're going to end up actually losing a lot of that money that could have been put towards your employees and growing your studio had you waited and done it like January the next tax year. Yeah, exactly. January <laughs> right. 1st. Which is actually, yeah, I guess, yeah, if you're operating on a on a cash basis, it actually it actually makes a lot of sense now in retrospect. And I never quite sort of like put these pieces together, but it makes a lot of sense that Christmas just somehow became the holiday about buying lots of shit and giving it to people, right? As in, as in, like this idea is something that businesses they stimulated this cultural idea over the years because getting rid of all your inventory um, at the end of the year means, you know, you get to basically close out your, your tax year. And if you, and if you have various, uh, like vendors to pay or whatever, you can try to like tidy up your, tie up your, your finances at the end of the year. In our case, yeah, like in our case, if we, if we did a sale and say like, like a Christmas sale, like mid December, um, the income actually doesn't come to us until February, 45 days later. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, like we do a Christmas sale, but then, but then that income goes into the next tax year. But do we get, Oh, that's an interesting question. Do we get taxed at the point at the date of sale or at the time in which the money is received? It's when it appears. Depends if you're reporting on a cash basis or an accrual basis, Sam. Oh, I don't know anything. So I'm (laughs) dumb and this is too deep. (laughs) But I see this that is an excellent some... point to say we can't give any like real advice, so you should discount everything we say. But totally. if you're if you're running a studio, you should really have an accountant to yeah. help you oh, yeah. navigate this stuff. Yeah, it's which worth is worth the investment by a lot. Yeah, it was something that I was always really scared of doing because it's like, oh yeah, an accountant is going to charge you, you know, several hundred dollars to get all your your taxes prepared, etc. But any accountant worth their salt, you will make that money back in refunds, just like and then and much then more. Some. But but also yeah. just in in decisions because like we actually restructured our company entirely this past year at the suggestion of our accountant, who was like, "Yeah, you guys are losing tons of tons of income. Actually, your, it actually cut, tax burden. It cut my taxes in half because of the self employment tax. <laughs> I shit you not, right." It's absurd. That stuff is really complicated. You should hire a professional to take care of it. Yeah. Yep. I think we've talked about this a bunch. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie this thing off okay. with the question of this bitch. What does this suggest to us? This fact that this, because uh, there's a sale part that we talked about a little bit and the fact that uh, that visibility for a game after it's been launched isn't very powerful, actually, without, especially without a sale. Without, well, well without, without a sale or without additional DLC, I guess. It's yeah, yeah, without additional buyable stuff. Correct. So that the immediate value of, a, of an update actually is not very high. Because what that suggests, if you're operating from a pure business perspective, is that you should only be making things you can then turn around and sell you should not be just publishing free updates to something correct we don't want to work on a purely financial basis but on the other hand we do have to run a company and we'll have to pay our future employees and all that stuff so we have to at least you know we have to at least do stuff that makes sense we have to make intelligent economics decisions and we can still bias them towards also doing what we want uh, but you know we can't just leave business entirely so that leads to the question what you know what is it that we're going to do as a consequence of this knowledge I don't know I don't do I mean with, as, far, right as far as Crashlands as far as Crashlands is concerned um, well because think about it what I, it implies for the creator oh yeah I know that actually scares the shit out of me. Yeah. Oh yeah. It implies it's not worth our, our investment to do the crash in creator. Cause that's still a few months of development and we probably will not recoup the costs immediately from the visibility we'll get because of that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I've never, I've never been under the, the impression and I'm skeptical that, that you guys were as well. I, I've never been under the impression that developing a free update to a paid game gave you any kind of like decent, uh, return financially. Because because the people who get really really pumped about updates are the people who own the game and yeah, they, they can't already pay you any more than they already yeah. have. Right. But um, I will say though that there is one big difference here, which is I think what we all kind of had talked about internally as well, which is the Crashlands creator adds potentially anyway a social a natural growth component to the tail of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's possible that it could create some kind of organic. Uh, word of mouth sales or something like that. Like that, that is, that is possible, but you can't really count on it. You can't count. Um, 
Well, I think that's the, yeah, that's the important I think note, it's, I think, well, the important note yeah, is that it, we, it's pretty clear we haven't actually based our decision on making the creator off of a strictly financial model. Um, be, no, because it's just something we wanted to do. Something we want to do. And I think it's the main reason to me to do it uh, is actually because we were trying, we want to experiment with some user generated content and like building a community around that. And it might be the case, like maybe, maybe not even enough people participate to be able to really fulfill that. Who knows? <laughs> we don't know what the hell's going to happen. Yeah. It might end up being a flop by the time. Right. Which, but that'd done. be good to know. You know I mean? That'd just be good to know. It's basically a grand experiment. And that's it. I guess we'll see. Um, but we're going to hop right. We're going to hop straight into questions. And I think Alan Falcon actually asked one that sort of. Wait, where do these questions come from? These questions come from podcast.bscotch.net. You can ask them either by logging in with your Bscotch ID or anonymously. But if you have it with your Bscotch ID, you get a perk, which gives you a sweet coffee avatar to use. Woo! Um, and there's also, <laughs> we, we refresh them every week. So it's a fresh batch of questions and you have a sort of equal chance to get your to get your question answered at all times. So uh, the first question comes from unless Alan it's Falcon. A, unless it's a terrible question, in which case you don't have a chance. Yeah, we do straight up delete some of them. But uh, Alan Falcon yeah. asks, and this ties directly into our idea of business and stuff that we're talking today, uh, and this is in reference to the San Francisco-based Juice Box Games, which just announced closure, I believe, last week. Uh, despite Not to be a, confused with our character Juice Box. Yeah, they're actually they're little yeah. mascot guys. It's a, it's a Juice yeah. Box. I mean, it looks similar in shape. Um, but they... <laughs> They uh, announced their closure, despite the fact that they've been bringing in actually a really healthy amount of revenue, um, which Alan notes here is 1.2 million revenue in 12 months. Uh, I believe they've made $8 million uh, either in total over the three years of their existence or some, like from one of their games. Yeah. Like so, and they had $2.5 in, in uh, seed funding, I believe, from investors. So his question is, how do you evolve your studio to make sure you stay ahead of trends instead of a uh, quote, which comes from the blog post about the studio closing, uh, quote, using 2013's playbook in 2015, which is what the CEO claimed was the reason why Juicebox Games ended up having to close. Um, do they make free to play games? They made on mobile. They did. They made free to play games. The games were actually very successful. Uh, the games are good games. They're polished. They have a lot of players. Uh, they're like I said, they made like $8 million in revenue. I believe it was the, from the blog post thing or something like that, uh, from one of their games. Well, I, and yet I have they imploded. Thoughts. So yeah, Seth and I were talking about this and then we did some research. So Seth, what you got? Well, so if you go to their website, the website of Juicebox games, which is still up, um, You'll notice some really interesting stuff. I think for me, the thing that stood out the most was that this is a, a studio making what I would consider to be, they're not, they're not small mobile games. They call them mid core or whatever. Um, they're kind of strategy games, etc. but they have a huge team. Like how many people? 20, 36 something. By the way, their site is down as of this moment. Cause I just tried to oh, go their site is down. Yeah, okay. It was it was still up when they announced their their closing. Um, so they've they've had you know upwards of thirty people working on this game, and uh, they they were bringing in eight million revenue or something like that total throughout the lifetime of of these games. Um, they're operating out of San Francisco in a in a very large and lavish office. And on their website, on their their they had a, they have a careers page or a jobs page or whatever. And they had, uh, I believe, seven positions they were hiring for, even up to the moment that they closed their studio. <laughs> so uh, to me, this is a it's it's not actually a, a problem of their games. It's a problem. It's just it's just a failure of understanding the business. Yeah. Or side, even using which the is, 2013 model in 2015. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what that means. Well, like, yeah. It was interesting to, to see. To that me, the idea here is good. Sorry, good. Uh, because uh, I, so okay, I, I was just gonna say, <laughs> oh god, are we lagged each other. Okay, hold There's on, I got definitely a two right. second lag on somebody. I don't know who it is. Yeah. Well, whatever. Go, uh, Seth. Go. All all I can say is is that revenue does just just does not matter if your costs are out of control. Uh, you do not need an enormous team. To, I mean, of course, by our standards, 30 people is enormous. By AAA standards, 30 people is a, is a spec. Um, but but the fact is, if you operate in, in literally the most expensive city to operate out of in the United States uh, with a team that is far too large for the games that you're making. With an extravagant then, audi- uh, extravagant office space. Yeah, you got a, you got a huge office space with, you know, con- all these conference rooms and blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, you, you have an incredible amount of overhead. And it doesn't matter how much money your games make because they still have to clear the hurdle of your costs, which you just you haven't kept a lid on. So 
I don't think it has anything to do with like using an old business model or anything like that. It's just not operating intelligently. Well, and yeah, it's using really. the the explosive growth model that's so popular amongst um, the startup scene, right? Where they just say, bring in as much money as possible and grow as fast as possible. Get investors, blow the team up to uh, two dozen people and yeah. Yeah, and the fact is just that's just a it. super risky venture. I mean, that necessarily means that you're always living at the edge of of the balance between income and expenses if you're just always growing as fast as you can if adding a person meant that within a short period of time you'd be adding revenue comparable to hiring that person and so on then yeah that would work out just fine if there was a direct relationship there and and certainly there is you know bringing in new people does do that but there can be a significant lag on it and further if the studio as a whole you know it's things go happen on a project basis so if a project fails and that project is maintained by 10 people then all of a sudden those 10 people didn't actually generate the income that was needed to support them yeah well the, the interesting thing about to me about reading that was that uh the guy his one of his quotes is that he thought that they just didn't make they didn't make good enough games fast enough was what his point was and i just yeah I, for those expenses that's exactly well, so the thing right. is that's exactly right because like it actually <laughs> bummed me out because I, so I went and looked at their google play results and these games have been downloaded millions of times and still have a ton of active players it actually bummed me out because i'm like okay you have uh what are undoubtedly there's gonna be some gaming communities that have you know grown up with like in there there's some people who this is like one of you know their game that they play um and now, like, it's, you know, it's not going to be. It's not going to be able to. It's not supported anymore, whatever else. And on top of that, like, it, it seemed like a weird... It seemed to me more more an example of not being able to see outside uh, what you might call the, the sort of uh, venture capital mindset or the Silicon Valley mindset to actually seeing just, like, how you would normally run just generally a small business rather than thinking about it from this explosive growth model. Like, blaming it on the games uh, seemed to me, like... It, it wasn't like it didn't seem to me like the CEO was trying to pass blame. It just seemed like he wasn't seeing that uh, that he didn't doing, realize it was a management problem. Right. Or, or yeah, that doing it that way was maybe not the best way to do it, if that makes sense. Um, or it's just a highly risky way to do it. So it's not surprising in the slightest that it would end in bankruptcy. Right. And so, um, you know, it's it's always sad to see when these companies close, especially like they they like in my mind, they're actually they were successful in the sense like. It's harder shit to create a good game. It's then harder again to sell it. And then it's even harder to make $8 million off one of them. Um, yeah, they made successful games. Yeah, that's exactly what I, mean, I that's, that's just a fact. But the business wasn't successful, if that makes sense. And yes. And so that I think it's, a, it's an, it was an interesting point that I wanted to, to bring up from, from Alan there. And again, sad to see people go. And I, I heard it was like apparently it's Cool place to work, you know, great place to work, as most companies, game companies can well, be. With, with that sweet office, I would imagine. Yeah, it was so. a pretty sweet office. Um, <laughs> for the record, move. we're probably still, we're going to be operating out of a basement, I think, for the next foreseeable yeah, future. For the foreseeable future. <laughs> yeah. We're going to we avoid getting lavish, in office as long as possible. We have lavish basement lighting and lavish parking spots available on the street in neighborhoods. You know, that's, yes, that's how we're very lavish. Uh, so the next question comes from Tedge734. This gets away from business a little bit. We're going to talk very businessy today. Uh, Tedge asks, have you guys ever thought of making a workout app that you can input your amount of gains and see if they keep up with the butterscotch crew? I just want to wake up every morning at 6 a.m. with my phone yelling at me to get them gains today. What do you guys think? <laughs> We could do this. I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> well, it wouldn't be super hard, but there's, I think there's one interesting, uh, in, there's an interesting problem with this, which comes down to our privacy policy with Bscotch ID. Uh, because if, if we wanted to make a workout app that was actually like a, a comprehensive one, there's a number of things that you would want to keep track of. I think things like, um, tracking weight, whether you're trying to, you know, bulk up or slim down either way, people have a tendency to kind of focus on their, you know, their weight, um, as well as, you know, tracking your nutrition and inputting like what your workouts are and, and keeping track of those. Uh, but that would mean that all that stuff would be stored on our servers, which, uh, up, up until now, our privacy policy just, you know, just says, we just, we don't keep any personal information about you other than what your Bscotch ID is and, and what you do in our games. Like, well, really stats, just your basically. email address is the only identifying. Yeah. So thing. now all of a sudden we have a, we have History a much biometric bigger, data. Mm. Yeah. We got like a much bigger thing, which, um, I mean, I guess if people want to opt into that, I mean, we're not going to do anything with it. It's I don't think that'll there, be, I don't, yeah, I don't think that'll be such a problem. It's, it's more of just, you know, what, what can we do that would be super fun 
within with an app like this because I think the idea of actually trying to compete with the with us in some way or or somehow benchmark based on what we're doing is actually a really interesting one. That would be kind of fun. Yeah. The idea of an app like tracking a, a person or a set of people's behavior so that everybody else using the app can use them as a live benchmark <laughs> is a really interesting, yeah. cool idea. And then if we were to couple this with hmm. with Sam's ridiculous, over-the-top vocalizations of stuff. <laughs> I would love to scream at everybody all the time. Yeah, you, you would be, basically I mean, have I feel a like personal trainer be, in your pocket. Yeah. yeah, I feel like this would be like a two-week project. I mean, it wouldn't be super involved, right? But we could we could attach some kind of a, what I was kind of envisioning was you know something something simple where anytime you meet the benchmark or you know whatever even if it's just as simple as did you did so I worked out today you know did you also work out today then like you get some kind of a token or like a a currency that you can drop on you know getting a sweet hat for your avatar or something <laughs> <laughs> you know like you could do some pretty easy easy stuff with it. But what I'm worried about is not how difficult it would be to do. It would be it, it would be very invasive for us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a fact. Right? I mean, like when I when I go work out, I it's just a thing that I'm doing on my personal time as a thing that I really enjoy doing. And I and some days though, I'm just exhausted or tired or you know, just feel like vegging out and I don't go. Uh, but I don't know how I'd feel about sort of having that, that nagging sense of like, Hey, like 20,000 people are like watching and waiting for me to go to to the gym today (laughs) so they can see what I did and then try to compare themselves. Well, I also had that. So I got a, I got a buddy visiting from out of town and he's, he runs a lot. He's a runner. And so yesterday he was like, Hey, you want to go and run with me? And I haven't run since I think like for about four weeks or so since Seth and I started uh, lifting. And I was like, uh, I was like, I do. And I'm going to go for a run this afternoon, but I really don't want to go with you. And he was like, why? And I was like, I am about 10 pounds heavier than I used to be. Like, you know, as far as just carrying weight around from lifting and, and your cardio is, and my cardio is down. Like I don't, I don't actually (laughs) want anybody to know how painful of an experience this is going to be or how slow it's going to be. Like I just need, this is some suffering I need to do, you know, on my own. Um, and he's like, okay, you know, it's fair, totally fair. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, cause, but on the other hand, this is if you sort of use those metrics as a way of, of sort of identifying your own self-worth. Sure. And it's okay. Like I know, I know huge numbers of people do it. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. But for someone like me, like I know I need to exercise, but I, I don't. And, and I'm fucking weak and I run slowly and not very far. <laughs> <laughs> I know all of these facts. And if I go into a gym and I'm doing like curls or, you know, some random weightlifting item, throwing some heavy shit around. I know I'm doing it with pretty light weights because I've just become so comfortable with the fact that I'm a weakling now. It just doesn't bother me. I'm just like, right, I'm going to go see if I can put some muscle on this scrawny arm. Right. When I go running, it's the same deal. It's like my, my one mile right now is like 12 minutes. And mm-hmm. I feel great about that because when I first started running... I guess uh, about mile. a year ago, <laughs> I couldn't run a mile without getting vomitously sick. <laughs> so from an internal benchmark perspective, like I'm, I feel great about the fact that I no longer need to vomit when I run a mile. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's what it should be about. It's, it's not about if you're going, if you're, if you're going to the gym or exercising or whatever, so that you can compare yourself with other people. I think that's a dangerous game that you're playing because like there's always going to be somebody who just blows you out of the water. You know? Yeah, well, but if, if you look at the ba- three of us, we, we basically cover the spectrum because we got Seth on the far end of like trying to get his muscles as huge as possible. We've got Sam in the middle, but a little closer to that end of like still trying to grow muscle mass, but not be a beast. Well, usually I don't actually give a shit about it. Seth's very interested in it, so I was interested in it. But usually I just, I have my 25-minute routine well, I do, and that's it, and then I run. Well, wait, he, but here's the thing. I mean, I don't I don't care about having huge muscles. I just, I need to, I know I need to exercise and like in a, not just sit in a chair all day. And I find lifting to be, you know, one of the most satisfying uh, ways to do it. Like it's very, it's a good stress reliever, like taking something super so heavy. And just it just roaring and being like and like throwing it you know across the room. Uh, <laughs> so what you're it saying feels, it is feels what good. <laughs> what sort of app we should make is actually not a fitness tracker app, but rather a like a finding your own personal zen through an exercise of your choice uh, motivator. So we could just strip out yeah, all the tracking. And I, and, and I think make if a, we just make a voice 
thing where like you just press a button whenever you need some motivation, and then a butterscotch yells at you, and they're like, <laughs> "Go get them gays," <laughs> or whatever the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting reminded that it would be a pretty good idea for you to go do whatever kind of exercise makes you feel like you've done some exercise. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Who Who knows? <laughs> All right. We'll move on to the next, next question uh, from Woland77, who asks, do you have any control over what ads are shown to your non-buttered up players? And should we assume that an ad shown on a butterscotch game is endorsed by butterscotch shenanigans? Yeah, this is one of the big problems with ads. Yep. That's why we yeah, actually so, another, so we have, another reason why we don't we like this. Yeah, we have basically vague control over over categories of things. So we can be like, no dating ads and no gambling. Basically, like, you know, only show ads that are acceptable for teens and below or whatever. Um, that's a that's about it. And we definitely don't endorse any games not made by Butterscotch. <laughs> <laughs> no, or any just ads about any product, period. Yeah. Um, it's just a thing that we had to do to get by. So it sucks. And ads suck. And I hate them and fuck them. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, the last time I played one of our <laughs> games without being logged in, so I had my buttered up account, when I just like played on the guest account, because it's outside of our control. Like we, we, we basically gave our ad provider access to our game. So whatever they decide to do is then what happens. And over time, all ads have shifted to being more and more intrusive and aggressive. And so I was actually pretty shocked and aggravated the last time I played one of our games on the guest account at just how goddamn intrusive <laughs> these ads were. And it's were they, frustrating, right? Because when we originally put them in, they were more just like a pop-up. And now like every single one has, an, has a video embedded in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's it's not as bad, though, because there's, there's a couple new sort of – well, they're not that new, but styles of ads – one of which is is literally a playable like miniature version of a game inside the ad where you can like do like match a couple things to and then if you succeed it's like great job want to keep playing click here you know yeah i remember, um, remember so you're, when they you're first, playing a game inside of another game yeah when they first sent us that email uh we sort of talked about it internally and we were like why why in the fuck would we want to play someone else's <laughs> game like we, so they came here to play our game. Like, well, I want you to play a different game inside of our game, I, even if we're getting paid for it. This yeah, I mean, weird. as a <laughs> what? as a developer, yeah, as a developer, it's already it already feels weird to know that the way that the way that you're making money if you're if you're serving ads is by showing other games to your players. You're like, hey, go play this other. Like, stop playing my game. Go play this other person's game. Why? Because they're paying me to tell you this right <laughs> like it's weird it doesn't feel good at all um yeah i mean we we're trying to move away from it as much as possible i feel like if they were what if the ads were selling just like normal items or was like a you know like a deodorant commercial for for uh old spice or something i mean would you be like yeah because it's hilarious oh, that'd be awesome um yeah that's sort of stuff i can get behind but i feel like i mean you do see you do see tv shows advertised during commercials um but i mean i think that probably feels yeah, but you don't click the commercial to like yeah, immediately go watch that other TV show. But right. yeah, the, the networks, you know, they, they take great care. Like they don't want to advertise another TV show that's on another network that's on right now. Right. Like they don't, they don't want right, you to like, be like, yeah, change the channel, tur turn off, <laughs> change the channel, get over to this other, like, but that's what, that's what game advertising is. Like, cause you can immediately stop playing, you click on it and you just go play the other game and boom, you're, you're done with the other one now. So it's not, it's a, it's a losing proposition, but this, I, I don't want to get too deep into this. Um, but this is, this is really comes down to the, the sort of binary nature of the app store, how there are some games, uh, you know, the ones that are in like the top 10, the free to play top 10, top 20 that make so much money that almost all of the advertising is done by those games. Uh, because on a per player basis, they can afford to spend that, right? Like if they drop two or three bucks getting a new player and on average they get 10 to 20 bucks from each player, then it's definitely worth their time to just keep advertising inside of everybody else's games. Um, but for everybody else, there's no, everybody else has to serve their ads, right? It's like a, it's a weird subservience kind of a system. Yeah. It kind of feels, it's no good. Kind of feels pyramid yeah. schemey, you know, in a sense. A little pyramid <laughs> Yeah, well. All right. Uh, next question comes from Frog Ninja, who asks, do any of you like Dungeon Keeper? 
or just generally any management or tycoon games. Have any of us played Dungeon Keeper? Uh, have not played I have not. Me neither. So well, I have played no. management. I have played management slash tycoon games. What's your, and favorite, I like what's your favorite one and why? I mean, obviously, OBS, my favorite. Is Simcopter. Roller Coaster Tycoon. Oh, Simcopter's Simcopter. pretty good. Simcopter yes. does not feel like a. I don't think it's a management game though. It's more of a. It's more of a like a weird flight oh, yeah, sim true. almost. Yeah. Um. True. But yeah, I mean, I played so like City Skylines. I think is you know kind of a, a management tycoon kind of a game. Roller Coaster Tycoon, the best, mm-hmm. the original. I haven't really played much beyond that. Um. But yeah, they're they're super good. I have no qualms about them. In fact, I don't know. What about you guys? I got nothing to say about them because I don't play them. I got uh, nothing against I would, them. I would just highly recommend. <laughs> uh, I would highly recommend all the Kyrosoft games on mobile. Um, yeah, those are good. They're basically the same. Yes. Each one, I mean, mechanically, they're pretty much the same. There's like a billion of them. Um, but each of them is a slightly different take on a different sort of uh, simulation theme. So you might That's have this. Cairo with a K. Yeah, K-A-I-R-O soft. Um, their games are like three or four bucks. And it's great. There's no ads or IAP crap in them. Um, and they will absorb a hefty amount of your time. So just keep that in mind. Yeah, I'd recommend uh, Game Dev Story. Is is a good one for sure. Yeah, you can see what it's like when all of your people burn out when your game crashes and fails. It'll be <laughs> super great. Oh, speaking of burnout, hmm. ooh, what's this? Do we want to talk? Do we want to talk about this uh, this venture beat article? Oh, do we? I don't give a sh- that guy. That guy could just go. To well, hell. I can sum it up like this. There was a guy who was a dick on the internet, and everybody was upset about it. Yep. I'm okay. Just gonna, nice. We'll just Moving move on. on. Yep. Uh, so Olin Vern asks a question. Would you, would you consider making an open or semi-open development for one of your games, like opening to new, uh, to new batches of players as development goes on, early access or something like that? We talked about doing exactly this. Yeah. The, dif- the difficulty actually just comes from the type of game, right? If we're able to make like a, modular, yep. a modularly built game where we're, we can add essentially new systems, you know, in whole added to the new to the core of whatever we started with uh this is this is something actually we're very interested in doing just because it'd be super fun i feel like to be that close to our well it doesn't even have to be modular though right because the the only problem with a really with a fairly open development model is that excitement in the community can go away really fast because game development is slow so things don't change you know on a day by day or even week by week basis in, in ways big enough to keep people excited. I mean, at the very beginning of game development, it actually does like a, a new game can change quite quickly, but towards the end, it gets really slow and boring for everybody. Yeah. What well, we were talking about well, was not only that, sorry, good. that we would actually do it on a kind of a rolling basis where we would let players in for a week at a time and then basically kick them back out so that any one person would only play the game for about a week. And then maybe several weeks later, they get the chance to come back in in the rotation so that every time they say it, saw it, it would actually feel like a changed game that had lots of improvements and stuff. I don't know what we're going to end up doing, but we were talking about doing something kind of like that. Would you ever? I consider, think that'd be super fun. Yeah. Would you ever consider doing uh, early access though, so we could actually have an early revenue stream alongside that? Because like that model where we actually kick people out doesn't seem like something we could ever ask anybody to pay for. Like we will randomly take access away. Yeah. Right. That would be <laughs> open and free. Exactly. That would be right. for uh, a free access. Like, and, and to me, that's that's purely for like a really early early. Early to like early development to when the stuff turns into a grind. Cause like the last, for example, you know, five to six, four to six months of Crashlands development, if there were testers in there or people playing an open version of the game, they would have been like, how come this hasn't changed for this whole time period? In fact, a lot of stuff happened, but if you were just in it every day, the change just felt so slow, it wouldn't have been interesting. So I think at the very beginning of development, when the game isn't something you would want to ask somebody to pay for anyway, uh, having this sort of open rotation model is a really cool way to do it. And then at the very tail end, things are moving pretty slowly but it's it's mostly it's mostly about kind of polish and just filling out the content that's a good time to do early access because that's when people can jump in and feel like and give you some sort of basic testing and feedback and stuff without the game itself having to change really dramatically well here's an ethical question because i was thinking i was thinking about this i mean when when uh, one of you guys said well you can't just have somebody pay to get into early access but then like put them into a revolving revolving door basically of mm-hmm. testing is that true i mean you totally I could i mean what yeah you totally what could what do you yeah like what do you reasonably expect as a player if someone from knows what they're coming in early into. access 
Yeah, like if you're really upfront about it, but the, the difficulty there is the only way to be upfront about it is to like put it in writing, which means somebody has to read it, you know. <laughs> right, um, and they won't, and then they'll be angry at you. Yeah, but I guess the the question I have is if you're selling a game in early – the way that I see early access personally, and maybe this is wrong or too like developer-friendly or whatever, but there, there's no firm definition of what that means. All it means is this game isn't done yet, and I'm going to – I want to pay to be sort of part of the – development process and help give feedback on the game as it is being finished. Does that seem fair? Like, does that seem like a, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the, yeah. what it's supposed to be about. Yeah. But, but here's the, I guess the question is, should you expect to be able to play the game the entire time that it's an early access? Hmm. You know, the important thing is of course, what people, what the people who are buying it think is happening. And I think because of what early access is, because this is basically kind of exclusively a Steam thing, right? And I think what people have, have gotten used to and to expect from early access is that they'll get their hands on the game and get to play it up until and also when it launches. Although I know there are some games that basically pull, they'll actually pull access for like the last two weeks before they launch. Hmm. Right. For the early access phase itself, people, once they come in, they have access the whole time. So I think it would defy expectations enough that I think it probably would not work to do that. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, so, something I never thought about is like what what actually what rights do you have as an early access player? Well, it's know. it's whatever the terms say you have. Right? Yeah, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> uh, next question, which means none by default. None. Yeah, none. Our right, next question uh, comes from Philosomaticker, which I think I pronounced Ph- it correctly. Uh, asks Philosomaticker. Philosomaticker asks on a conference. Nice. In a conference for artificial intelligence, a scientist tries to find out about ways to improve gameplay and user experience by giving AI to game avatars or NPCs. So in other words, a character you play has its own AI or the NPCs actually have artificial intelligence. Uh, his question is, what do you think would be good ways to integrate that? But I think a better question is, why would you do that in the first place? So I wanna- Yeah, I'm, I'm super confused about why. What? Okay, hold on. Let me read this again. On a conference for artificial intelligence, a scientist tries to find out about ways to improve gameplay. So that's the goal. AI. To me, this sounds like the worst possible way to do QA. It sounds like this sounds like an academician's approach to right, exactly, right, which is (laughs) exactly uh, solving a problem that doesn't exist. Which, and what I mean by that is that the so if in the most roundabout way possible, exactly. If your goal is to improve gameplay and user experience for a human. For a human Why being. teach a robot how to play the game? Yeah, because robots have, you know, they got different values. We know they're like, they're just waiting to overthrow us at some point. Well, you and know, the best a robot everybody. can do is whatever a, a single human or a small team of humans trained it to do. Right. So in the end, really all you're doing if you make an AI to play your game, to learn about how the game works, is actually testing a very small number of people's ability to play the game and understand it. Mm -hmm. Because all that it will ever do is exactly what you thought of. Yeah. Which is, by the way, not how it works when you put the game in the hands of another person. No. They will do insane shit that you had no clue was even possible. So it's it's, it's weird. Here's the root, right? that AI that's going to go play your game, that thing also needs to have QA on it now all of a sudden. So what are you going to do? Make an AI to, Q, to QA that? It's Fucking just AI is all the way down. What if I reread this a different way? I'm, I'm trying to think about this because I feel like I can't possibly read the question that was asked. So what if it was this? If it's, if it's that the scientists were looking for a way to improve the gameplay and user experience of the player who's playing the game by making it such that the avatars or the NPCs inside of the game had their own artificial intelligence. Yeah, but that's how games already work. Complexity. Right. There AI is, just means yeah. that the, the, the thing does stuff on its own, right? That, that's all it means. And there's, there's various levels of complexity of that, but at its root, all it means is that the thing will do some stuff and you don't control it, which well, is already so, how games work. Well, yeah, and I would say the further you go toward actual intelligence, the worse the game would get. Well, I would argue that you're starting actually, the further you go toward actual intelligence, you're going to start running into an ethical quandary because yeah, what <laughs> happens what when you it, turn the game off? At what point off? is it alive? <laughs> yeah. Now you're killing a whole world every time. And further, because all games are designed around murdering things, now you're going to be murdering sentient beings. <laughs> that is true. That's that's what games are. Yeah. Just murder everything. I mean, so, our games are no exception to this, to be fair. So I, again, will retreat so, back so to the question right of why you would want to integrate that. Because creating a civilization of people that I would wipe out every time I hit the X button on my application would just bum me out. 
every day <laughs> so much this this actually this makes me this makes me think of this odd trend of of bigger and bigger games toward trying to simulate realism as much as possible. Like to me, the thing that makes games awesome and very distinct from, from the real world is not that there are infinite possibilities, but that there's a very limited set of possibilities. Like there's a a very constrained rule set in a game and understanding how to operate within that rule set and learning the rule set and mastering it. That's what makes the game fun. Like if you want, If you want actual intelligence in your game, or if you want to simulate what the real world is like, make it multiplayer or just go outside. Like that's, it's already there. That's already a thing. We don't need that. (laughs) (laughs) We don't need that in a game, right? It's it's not a game anymore. It's just like going outdoors. (laughs) So, all right, we're going to wrap this up with two quick questions. One is from Beans Manane, who asks, prior to launch, the answer for Linux support was a firm not no, which is accurate. Uh, Linux support was going to be an option if the game did well enough. You're hiring a new team member. Uh, Any more thoughts on utilizing that export option in GameMaker? Yeah, I think the implication here is we must be doing well enough so we've satisfied that criteria, given that we're hiring somebody. So why aren't we making Linux (laughs) support? Right. And the answer I think is, the answer is because we haven't hired that person yep, yet. Yep. So that is exactly the answer. And this would be their job. So <laughs> there's your answer. So it's still a firm not it's no. A, it's just actually not become no. it's become much more probable now that we're going to hire somebody whose job will be to do that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. The last question, quick one, comes from Sin Linux. And I think the interesting point here this the, one's timely. This is timely. Yeah, this is more of a timely one. So Seth's birthday is on Saturday. And on Sunday, mm-hmm. we will all be going paintballing, and it's going to be painful. Yep. Yeah. And Sid Linux just wanted to know, given the given Adam's story last week about having his windpipe get shot shut by a paintball, <laughs> and then and his kidneys almost shut down ki- <laughs> from drinking <laughs> twenty shots of espresso. I guess that was another paintball story too, though, wasn't it? It was yeah. mildly paintball related. So they ask, uh, will more stories of your paintball endeavors be on the podcast? Uh, probably after next week. Uh, next week we'll have we'll have another one. Um, with that, do you guys have any other stories you want to tell? Any other quick uh, quick oh, nope. to drop? Because I I do have one story. This is not paintball related, but I just wanted to share this small aspect of my life. Small ass. The small aspect. Uh, in my life, you, you got to share your small ass. Yeah, just let, just let it out. So I'm gonna do it. So here's here's what happened. Uh, turned on the garbage disposal yesterday, and it was all like, blah, 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 and then water started shooting out of the other sink drain because I got one of those two sink things. And Ooh, nice. And I was like, that's weird. I wonder what that means. So I, of course, I kept putting water in it and tried it again. Uh, <laughs> it filled up some more. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, this, I'm pretty sure this is what's referred to as uh, a sink backing up, right? Which is what it is. The plumbing is somehow plugged. It's like having a plugged toilet. So I was like, how do I, how do I fix this? I sent a note to my landlord and then my fiance Googled it. And she's like, you could just use a plunger. And this apparently usually is not true, but <laughs> it usually apparently like, if your sink gets plugged, gets plugged, usually you need to get an actual plumber to come in and do some magic to it. But I was like, I'm going to take this, you know, crusty plunger from the toilet, from the bathroom, and I'm going to use it it, on a kitchen Put it in the same place you wash the dishes. (laughs) This is already a good series of decisions. And yeah, it's it's going really well. And I, uh, so I go in there and I, uh, you know, get the dishwasher rack out of the way so I can, you know, assault this thing with a plunger and I pop the plunger on there and I'm trying to plunge it, but it's not like a big plunger, right? It's kind of like a shallow one. It's not, it's not one of those heavy duty things. Mm, And so I know. It forms a good seal, but it's like slipping around like a like a slippery snake all over the damn sink. Like as I as you try to plunge down, it like shoots off to the left. So it's kind of sliding. Yeah, and you need you know you need suction. So I'm I'm struggling with this for a few minutes, like trying to get my technique right. Um, you know, jostling this plunger joystick around, and then. Uh, I realized that all of my efforts are in vain because I haven't plugged the other drain. So all the yeah, air is not going to accomplish anything. <laughs> so like, I kind of hear it. I'm like hearing a bit of a, like a, you know, and I'm like, oh shit. Because you're so just like, moving air through the other drain hole. Right. So now I have to clear the dishes out of the Wait, other Wait, did sink. you dual plunge it? Did you put a plunger on each drain and then like no, no. dual well, so, fist them both down? So here's, here's what I had to do. Uh, so I had like the sink drain for the other drain. And so with one hand, I'm struggling to plunge with this fucking plunger joystick situation where every time you push down, it shoots off in a different direction. (laughs) And then with the other hand, I have shoved my hand into uh, the sink 
on the right side. So and you're just forcing... using your hand as a seal. No, well, no, 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 no. I didn't shove it into the garbage. <laughs> <laughs> no, I took, I just took the, the uh, plug thing and was holding it down. Cause the problem was if you didn't hold it down, then Pop the force of the air would just fire it out. So, <laughs> so I'm sitting there with both hands in the sink. One, like trying to whack this plunger thing. <laughs> like you wouldn't believe it. Wait a minute. This is all for a solution that you read online as being unreliable at best. No, no, no. That's... We did not read that it was unreliable. I only found that oh, out okay. after my landlord came by and oh. fix it. And I was like, I already fixed it, man. And he was like, you plunged it? And I was like, yeah. He was like, that usually never works. So, um, so yeah, I'm struggling <laughs> with this. And then my friend from across, my friend uh, who's visiting is across the hall. He hears me struggling, comes over. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm trying to plunge this goddamn thing. <laughs> and I'm struggling. And so he then sacrifices his arm to hold down because I couldn't I couldn't manage that plunger, you know, with one arm. So uh, he sacrifices his arm to get it dirty and holds the sink shut on one side. I plunge it. Problem solved. That's my story. And it worked. It it's works. all good now. Boom. Yeah. It went down. Huh. Damn. Yeah. Good shit, man. Good shit. <laughs> good shit. Way, way, to, way to be. Way to plunge. All right. Well, I think that's uh, I think that's all we got for this week. That wraps it up. That about that about wraps it up. Uh, so thanks everybody for listening. If you want to learn anything about anything, just go to butterscotch-shenanigans.com. Uh, we normally would list off a massive series of links at this point, but uh, we le- Adam and I learned that apparently that sends Sam into a frothing <laughs> blind rage, <laughs> and he's been just bottling it up for. For weeks and just weeks. Just go to butterscotchshenanigans.com tw- or Google anything. Just go to butterscotchshenanigans.com. You, you can actually just Jeez. Google butterscotch or shenanigans, and we are yeah, now like in the top four. So uh, yeah, you should you be able to find together, our website. You're going to get us. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so just, you know, if you want to play our games, join our forums, uh, ask podcast questions, apply for the job, buy a T-shirt. Whatever you want to do, just go butterscotchshenanigans.com. And you can get your stuff done. Yeah. So that's all we got. Uh, thank you all for listening, and we will catch you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.